preachers say it doesn't matter where you are and there's no such thing as a call of God to a certain place. Just pick out a place and be moved by the need and go. Well, I, I think we're moved by need, all right, but I think there is such a thing as the will of God for a pastor. There's, there's such a thing as the will of God for a preacher of the gospel, and I believe that you have men in this district that have found God's will for their life and for their future that they might help to uh, aid and give direction for the good saints of God throughout this district. It's good to be involved in the work of the Lord. Amen. Regardless of what we've done in the past or what mistakes or failures we may have had in the past, it's good to be involved in the work of the Lord. <clears throat> Someone said that this is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it or I can use it for good. But what I do today is important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving in its place something that I've traded for it. I want it to be gain and not loss, good and not evil, success and not failure, in order that I shall not regret the price that I've had to pay for this day. Thank God for this day. Regardless of what our yesterdays were, today can be a better day. Regardless of any failure we feel like we've made in the past, today can be a better day. We don't have to live on the failures of the past. We can enjoy the beautiful presence of God in the present and in the future as God directs us in his will. Praise God. It is good to be a child of God. It's good to be on the Lord's side. It's good to attempt something for God. I'd rather attempt something for God and fail in that attempt than to never try anything. Some people are noted for the fact that they never try anything. Thank God there are folks that are willing to try, that are willing to just go in and attempt to do something for God. Who was it that wrote, Far better it is to dare mighty things and to win glorious triumphs, even though they are at times checkered by failure, than to take rank for those poor spirits who neither enjoy much and they don't suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. There's some folks that live in that gray twilight area. There's really no victory. There's no defeat. There's not really anything being done. Praise God. If we're going to do something for God, it's time to do it. It's time to do it. The time to think about it is past. The time to, to, to contemplate over it is past. It's time to do it. I believe it's time for God's church to rise up in the power of the Spirit and do something for the cause of God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Whatever we do for God is going to, to a great deal, depend on our attitude. It depends on our attitude. Uh, one writer wrote and said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact and the importance of a right attitude. Attitude is more important than facts. More important than the past. It's more important than education or money. It's more important than circumstances, than failure, success, or what other people think of you. It is more important than appearance, our giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a home, or a church. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the type and kind of attitude that we will embrace that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in certain ways. 
The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of my attitude toward it. Amen. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our own attitudes. Glory to God. It doesn't matter what anybody says about me. I'm in charge of my attitude about it. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. I'm in charge of my attitude about it. They may say a lot of things, but they can't change my attitude unless I give them the power to do so. Praise God. Praise God. And I believe it's time for God's church to look with a positive aspect and outlook of faith and encouragement and believe that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Glory to God. Why don't we worship the Lord right now? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God, praise God, praise God. Again, it's great to be with you, to be with Brother Johnson, Sister Johnson. Enjoyed the good message last night from the Word of God. And uh, appreciate being with these good men, your district secretary, your district board, and the department heads and leaders and all the ministers and the wives and families, and then the good saints of God of this good Idaho district. It's great to be with you. God bless you, and you may be seated. Amen. I want to talk about reaching our community with revival. I want to talk about perhaps some ways and means and methods of reaching our community with, revi with revival. I do not speak today as an expert. <clears throat> That's for sure. I'm a long ways from that. We're all still in the learning process. All of us are still in the learning process. I heard one time that an expert was someone who was over 50 miles from home. <clears throat> And if that be the case, I could qualify today if that were the case. But I'm over 50 miles from home. It's a long ways in North Carolina. And then I heard another explanation of an expert, that X is the unknown and a spurt is just a little drip. And so an expert is just an unknown drip. And that's probably got a lot to do with it too. And so I did not come here this morning uh, being an expert, none of us have this business of church building mastered or conquered. None of us have it all together. You might point to somebody and say, they really seem to have everything together. But I'll assure you that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. The fact is, we all need one another. We need each other. Amen. I learned a long time ago I can't make it by myself. I need the help of God's preachers and God's people. I've never seen a man build a church by himself. I've never seen a couple go into a city and build a church by themselves. Amen. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. First of all, we need the power of the spirit behind us. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Our efforts are fruitless and purposeless and in vain unless the Lord God of heaven is on our side. But if God be for us, who can be against us? And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For there is neither height nor depth nor principality nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Hallelujah. If God calls you, he does not call you to failure. Now, success and failure may be a, a, a situation that exists in the minds of people. We look at some churches and we say they're very small and they failed. I don't subscribe to that theory or idea. Not everybody's in the same situation. Not everybody's in the same circumstance. I've heard men pastoring a church in some well-known Pentecostal area uh, where maybe they had a great church to start with and folks were constantly moving in from all over America. And then they look at some small church and say, why aren't they doing more? And my feeling has been sometime, why don't you get out of where you are and come to where we are and then let's see what you do. Is that right? Praise God. You put some hotshot church builders in some of the cities in Idaho, or North Carolina, or North Dakota, or Wyoming, or Colorado, or Nevada, and then let them give us the expertise of how to build a church. I'm just trying to be honest this morning. Amen. There are contributing factors to church growth in some areas, powerful contributing factors. I was in one church here a while back, and they have over 1,200 in Sunday school, and uh, the pastor said over 500 of them moved in as Pentecostals, already baptized, already had the Holy Ghost from another church. I think if a church had 500 Jesus-name apostolics to move in, uh, I could pastor a pretty good church to, there too. Can I get a witness? Praise God. And I'm not trying to down anything or minimize, minimize anything or, or, or negate anything. I thank God for all the good that's done. And uh, somebody needs to pastor all the churches in Louisiana and Texas and Mississippi and Arkansas and Missouri. And uh, somebody's got to <clears throat> do that. Praise God. But some of us get to be elevated into a little better place. We get to go to North Carolina and Idaho. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And um, I'm very, very happy to be here today. Let's talk about reaching our community with revival. Now, revival is not an elusive, mystical phenomena that is relegated only to a select group of unusually gifted men in some divinely favored place. Let me say that again. Revival is not an elusive, evasive, mystical phenomena that is relegated only to a select group of men in a divinely selected place. That's not revival. In other words, God doesn't just say, I like this certain church or, or this city, and I'm going to have a great church here, but I don't like this town, and I sort of am cool toward this town, and I casually like this one, and uh, so on. That's not the heartbeat or the feeling of God concerning revival. Amen. I, I believe there can be a church built anywhere that there is a man of God that's willing to go there and pay the price 
and the sacrifice through dedication, hard work, labor of love, and the pouring out of yourself. And it absolutely takes that, my brother, to build a church. There must come that place that you are willing to lay everything on the line and say, this I know to be God's will, and I'm going to stay here until a church is built. How long does it take to build a church? Amen. Years ago, I was in Pontiac, Michigan as a young man, as a single evangelist. Bishop L.A. Parent told me, he said, let me tell you something, young man. When you start to build a church someday, he said, don't think that you're going to build it in a week or two or a month or a year. He said, it'll take you at least 20 years to build a church. And I thought in my youthful mind, I thought, oh, he's just getting older and he just doesn't know and understand, you know. And boy, we can get in there and we can really do it right, you know, and and so on, we can really build a church almost overnight. I found out there was more truth than fiction to what he said. You don't build churches overnight. You don't build people overnight. You don't build saints overnight. It takes time to be holy. It takes time to build saints. Praise God. I've been pastoring now 37 years, and we've started three churches from the ground up, and that's the only kind of church that I've ever pastored is one we've started. And so home missions has been my heartbeat and my place in life. It's not for everybody, and I don't assume to believe that it is. Every man must seek the will of God for his own life. But home missions has been the will of God from my wife and I, and now we have two daughters both of them are married to young men that are home missionaries and starting home missionary churches. You say, don't you wish they would just take some big church somewhere? I think they're capable. I think they're pretty good preachers, and I think they could do that. But I am thrilled to death that my daughters are married to young men that are starting home mission churches in a storefront with, with folding chairs, and it doesn't look like much, but it's the will of God, and it's the work of God. Hallelujah. And it thrills me to death when my youngest daughter calls me two weeks ago and says, Daddy, I've started my own bus route. We got a van. Our church had given them a van. And uh, she said, I, I'm starting my own bus route. I'm running, uh, running that route on Saturday. I'm spending most of the day Saturday out there. She's got two little children. One of them is a year and a half. One of them is three years old. She takes her children on visitation with her all day Saturday. She learned that from her mother. My wife did that, took our girls all the time when they were growing up on visitation. She never left them at home or with a babysitter. She said, I want them to learn about the work of God, learn something about the cause of God. So she always took them on visitation. And now then, my daughter, in fact, both of them, but the one I'm talking about right now is my youngest daughter, and they're in Asheville, North Carolina, and they're starting a brand-new church. And, and uh, she said, I, I went out on my bus route this week, and I got into a group of people that seemed to be hungry for God. And she said, I had 23 on my van Sunday. Praise God. 15 passenger van. And she said, I had 23. Four of them were adults, three of them were teenagers, and the others were children of various ages. Already starting to build a church. How happy that makes me. Praise God. I'd rather my children be involved in the Lord's work than in anything else in the whole world. Praise God. A lot of parents want their kids and promote for them to be, uh, uh, to be uh, in some part of the business world and make a lot of money. Some parents I've had to tell me, even around church, I'd like for my child to be a ball player and so on. That's the last thing I'd want them to be. I want them to be a Christian. I want them to serve God, live for God, love God, 
Hallelujah. And get the gospel out. Reach somebody that's lost. There is no greater and more noble call on the face of the earth today than to reach the lost with the precious power of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are not uh, wondering and in doubt or in darkness as to our message. We have the message. John said, this then is the message. And when we preach faith in God, repentance from sin, what a baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues as the new birth, born-again message, we're right on target with God's Word. When we preach the one God message, we're right on target with the Word of God. And uh, when we preach the doctrine, the holiness, and so on, we're right on target with the Word of God. Revival can be had in our day. It's not something that's just for certain pre-chosen, selected individuals who happen to have a whole lot more talent than the average one of us. That's not the case. We need to destroy the myth that only certain people can build churches and only certain places can have revival. And so my goal up here this morning, and I've been praying and thinking about this ever since they mentioned they wanted me to talk to you on the uh, home mission service. My, my purpose to be here this morning is not necessarily to gather from you some emotional response. Now, if that happens, okay. But I've learned this, that inspiration without direction will ultimately produce frustration, intimidation, and depression. I've got to have more than just inspiration. Sometimes I've got to get down to the nitty-gritty, the facts of what does it take to build a church and what do we need to do to have a revival. And so my attempt here in the next few minutes will be perhaps to say something or put something in your hand or hopefully God can put something in your heart that can be a help to all of us. Notice in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 18, Jesus said, Take heed therefore how you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Luke chapter 8 verse 18. Psalms 103 verse 7 said he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. Now I'd like for us to think about some perceptions of revival. What is our perception of revival? I'll assure you that our perceptions of revival are as diverse as the definitions are. Now, revival, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a reawakening of religious fervor. A reawakening of religious fervor. Revival means to recover, to repair, and to restore. That's revival. To recover, to repair, and to restore. Also, revival is God's power being demonstrated and manifested in response to man's preparation. Now I want you to think with me for a little while. Revival is God's power being demonstrated and manifested in response to man's preparation and in harmony with biblical principles. There's got, if we're going to have revival, I want a revival that's built on the Word of God. I don't want some, uh, some so-called revival. 
that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. I want a revival that will stay, a revival that will last, a revival that has biblical character interwoven with it. I want a revival of truth, a revival of the power of God. And revival is in response to man's preparation. In other words, you don't just go out and say, I'm not going to prepare anything and God's going to do everything and then see revival. It's not going to happen that way. Revival is, is, is God's power being demonstrated in response to our preparation. Now, what do you mean our preparation? I simply mean that we have to do some things to get ready for revival. For example, we go into a city. We look for a place of worship. We look for a building. I've been in that situation a long time. And God never has dropped a building down out of heaven for me. I've often wished that he would. But God never has dropped a building. I'm talking about man's preparation, looking for a building, looking for a place of worship, maybe trying to find one here and one there and going through various disappointments and, and setbacks and trying to find the building that God wants you to have. First church that we started, in 1962, in Malden, Missouri, I went there and some older men told me, he said, that's a burnover field. That's what they said. I wasn't sure I understood what they meant. <clears throat> and uh, later on, I was glad that I didn't know what they meant. And <laughs> they told me there had been seasoned veteran preachers that had gone to that town and tried to build a church. They'd gotten a the building. They tried to have church. And no one had been able to build a church there. And I didn't go there to build a church. I went there to try to do something for God. There's a difference in me trying to build my church and trying to do, do a work for the Lord. Sometimes we do things in the power and the energy of our own flesh. and We wonder why we don't have spiritual results. Amen. This is the work of God. This is the cause of God. This is the, this is the call of God. This is the cause of the gospel. This is not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. If I remember right, Jesus said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. And he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm glad that hell cannot prevail against the church because it's not mine. If it was mine, it would have failed a long time ago. But since it's God's church, it's going to be successful. It's God's work. It's God's church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I went there, and we, we, we looked for a building. And finally... Uh, out of desperation, I found an old storefront, and um, and I I asked to rent it. First, they said they wouldn't rent it, and I finally I I felt like it's the will of God, although it was filthy and dirty and had loads of broken down pieces of furniture in it. It looked like anything but a church, and the yard had grown up, brother Picklesheimer told the 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 weeds were over my head; they were taller than my head. Now that's where I'm looking to start my first church. Not exactly an ideal situation, not downtown, not in the beautiful section of town, but in a part of town where it wasn't the best. That's where I'm trying to start the first church. And so finally they rent it to us for $50 a month. Oh, he says, very cheap. <clears throat> 1962, that wasn't very cheap. Dollars were fewer to come by then than they are now. 37 years ago. And so on May the 7th, 1962, we had our first service. And we had four, the first three, three it was, the first Sunday. And went along, and finally I decided I was going to get a, have a tent revival. I thought, man, you know, 
folks have tent revivals and they're successful and they just draw big crowds and everybody loves going to tent revival. Man, I could just see that thing filling up and, and you know, just folks getting the Holy Ghost and all of that. And, and, and I'm, I'm the only one there that's living for God. That was a few months before I married. I was starting a church. I don't know about the wisdom of that now, but anyhow, that's already in the past. That happened, so I <clears throat> can't change that. I was single. I'd been evangelizing three and a half, almost four years. Went there, and my wife and I were engaged, and we got married 11 months later in 1963. But um, I, uh, I was the only one there baptizing Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I could just see if I had a tent revival. So I had a friend up in Indiana. He had a tent, and I borrowed a truck, went all the way to Indiana and got a tent, got some chairs and got all of that, came back and got some help from some churches in the area, and they helped me put up the tent. The great day had arrived. I'm going to have the most landslide revival you've ever seen in your life. I mean, nothing was going to stop it. That was my youthful vision and burden, and boy, we're going to have revival. And I had the tent, and it's sitting there, and I backed off and looked at it, and it was the prettiest thing. We set the chairs up and put us a sign out and announcing tent revival on the first night came, and not one soul showed up. And the second night came, and nobody showed up. And the third night came, and nobody showed up. And I thought, well, I wonder if we're kind of developing a pattern here, you know. <laughs> I promise you, we did have some of the saints from my father's church in the area and my father-in-law's church who was in the area, 35 miles away, 40. We had some of them, but from my city, that's where I wanted I didn't want just some Pentecostals to visit us on their off night. I wanted somebody from the city to come. We had two weeks revival. Back in those days, seven nights a week, 14 consecutive nights of revival, and not one from my town came out. Not one sinner came. Not one. The only people that came to that revival was from saints and other, from other churches on their off night that came to visit and try to help us out. And that's the only people. And after 14 nights, I had to go out there the next day and help take that tent down. And it was a lot harder to take it all the way back to Indiana than it was to go get it. I was much more discouraged taking it back than I was when I went to get it <coughs> two weeks before. Took it back up there and took the chairs and he say, what are you going to do, stop? No, I'm going to keep having church. Somebody's going to come. Fourteen straight nights of tent revival and not one sinner, not one visitor shows up. So we just keep having church. What do you do when you've done all to stand? Brother, you just stand. What do you do if you've done everything you know to do in your city to have revival? You just keep fasting and keep praying and keep working and keep witnessing and keep loving God and keep believing the truth and keep trying to get the gospel out. You just, if you're doing the right things, and that is the right things, just keep doing it. Praise God. Just keep doing it. Amen. I don't know of any great, pretty, nice, fancy programs that will build churches. I've asked various people. How do you build churches? I've asked men all over the country that apparently have successful churches. And they come back to me and they say, oh, fasting and prayer and loving people and loving God, and witnessing, teaching Bible studies. And I asked Brother Randy Keyes here a while back. He seems to have a mighty revival going in Modesto, California. And I said, Brother Keyes, tell me the secret about your great move of God revival in Modesto. Oh, he said, Brother Good, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? You're there, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, well, tell me. What you know? Tell, share with me. Well, I don't know. We're just having church. And I said, well, tell me 
uh, what are you doing? I don't know. We're fasting and praying and we're witnessing and just all of our people are reaching out to the lost, trying to get everybody with a burden. He never did give me any great smashing success ideas of how to build a church. He just said, you know, just get the people to fasting and praying and witnessing to everybody and then just, just have good church. Boy, there's something to be said for just having good services. Just good, old-fashioned, old-time, apostolic, Pentecostal services. People are tired of old, dry, dead, cold, stagnant churches and Pentecost. We're going to have revival. We've got to have good church. You said I hadn't got anybody to sing, then you sing. You said I hadn't got anybody in my church to shout yet. Well, bless God, you shout. Just you and your wife, both of you, just get out there and shout, bless God. You said I don't have anybody to run the aisles, then you run the aisles. You said I don't have anybody to teach a Bible study, then you teach a Bible study. Do what it takes to build a church. Praise God, praise God, praise God. It won't be easy. I don't think anybody ever said it would be easy, and if they did, we would know they were not being perfectly honest and truthful if they say it's going to be easy to build churches. It will not be easy. It will take hard work and dedication and commitment and sacrifice and sticking with your call. Praise God. But there can be a great church built in your community if you're willing to pay the price. Glory to God. Glory to God. A lot of folks want success. We all want success, don't we? Somebody has observed that the only place where success, where you'll find success before work, is in the dictionary. And I believe that. That's the only place. I don't know of anywhere else you'll find success before, before work, but in the dictionary. Everywhere else, it's work before success. Is that right? And success oftentimes is... Uh, is, uh, can be a fleeting thing or it can be what people think of to be success. And what some people think is successful is not always successful. But if we build a church according to the will of God, then God says we're successful. Now also let me continue. Revival is what happens in the Christian. Revival is what happens in the life of a child of God that affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationship with the church, the saved people, and it also affects your relationship with the lost. So it affects your relationship first with God. Revival, real revival, has got to be something between you and God. It's got to be something that's born and built in your heart and system. But it will also affect your relationship with other people that are children of God, and it will affect your relationship with the lost. Revival is the result of the right man being at the right place at the right time with the right message. Praise God. It's the right man at the right place at the right time with the right message. And what we restrict to the word revival, we generally are referring to, when we talk about revival, we're generally referring to the cognitive work of revival plus evangelism plus the maturing of the harvest, which equals church growth. We're talking about a lot of things when you say revival. You're not talking about just 
one thing. They're talking about many efforts that have gone into it. If you're having revival in your church, I can assure you there are many different areas of commitment that has gone into the fact that you have revival. You that are here today that pastor a good church, a solid church, let's say it's a thriving or growing church, it is the result of many things, not just one thing. It's the result of many things. Now let's think about for a moment the pattern of revival. Revival is never an accident. It is always the result of preparation on someone's part. Whether that someone be you or someone you know or perhaps someone you don't even know or you're not aware of, yet revival is never an accident. It is the work of several people to bring together and to bring to fruition uh, a mighty move of God's power. There isn't a pastor in this place today, today but what we would like to see a moving of God's power. There isn't a pastor here that wouldn't like to see this coming Sunday night. The power of God moving the church and the Spirit of God moving and saints worshiping and praising God and loving God. Sinners in your audience. I like to see sinners in our audience. I like to see backsliders in our audience. Praise God. Praise God. I love to see that. I love to see sinners. And, and nothing would please a, a, a pastor in this building better than to get to the close of his sermon this coming Sunday night and the saints are praying, the saints are worshiping, there's a good move of God. And all at once you see a sinner walk out and they come to pray and you see a backslider walk out and they come to pray. We'd all like to see that. But it's not going to just happen with a snap of the finger. It's going to be the, the cognitive efforts of several people. The pastor, his wife, his family, the church, some men, some women, saints of God, fasting, praying, witnessing, loving God, staying with that church when things were tough and bad, and just believing God that better days were going to come for that church. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. We just had a series of meetings back in March. Brother Ken Bow was with us, and he, uh, he preached some wonderful services for us, and, and we went Thursday through Sunday for two weeks, and we had 20-something to receive the Holy Ghost, 22, I believe, to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and um, had uh, 18 or 19 baptized. But I can assure you, I'm using that for example, I can assure you that was not just the result of just my own efforts, or of Brother Bo. It wasn't the result of that at all. It was the result of an entire church pulling together. I saw people going to church at 6 in the morning, at 7 in the morning, praying. And at noonday, every noonday, we have noonday prayer. And we have anywhere from 80 to 100, 110 there at noonday prayer. Folks come off of their job. Many of them sacrifice their lunch. They sacrifice their lunchtime. <clears throat> and they'll run to the church as soon as they can. And they'll fill the prayer room. And they're praying and begging God and seeking the face of God for revival. And that that's why we have uh, uh, 22 get the Holy Ghost. It's not just some hocus-pocus uh, slick operator in the pulpit, but it's the power of the Holy Ghost that's demonstrated in that church. Praise God. Praise God. And you know, that's what I want to see. I want to see in the local church, everybody pulling together, everybody on the same page, everybody loving God, everybody pulling the same direction. Hallelujah. I preached in churches where it seemed like it was so hard to get a move of God. Some were pulling one way and some another way. And yet we've all got to pull in the same direction. We've all got to get on the same page. 
get the pastor saying, let's do this, but there's members in the church saying, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. You've got confusion twice confounded. We need to be together in this effort of revival. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Then at Easter time, uh, the last five years, we've had Brother Brian Kinsey preach for us Easter revival. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday. Brother Tim Spell has been there to lead our choir and sing every year. And, and Brother Brian Kinsey preached. We just kind of got them teamed up. And so we're just still doing it. <laughs> and I've asked them to come back next year. And Sunday through Tuesday, 15 more received the Holy Ghost and eight more were baptized. Well, what was that? Was that just because I was up there by myself just trying to know again. It was people praying and seeking God and reaching out to the lost. And we're asking all of our people now to just have church cards with them all the time or tracks. Everybody you talk to, what do you got to lose? Everybody you talk to, hand them a church card, hand them a track, invite them to church. I've got people that can't teach on Bible study, and I as pastor know they're not going to teach on Bible study. And so rather than uh, put the pressure on them to do something that they're not ever going to do, rather I tell them that everybody in this building can pass out a track. Everybody can pass out a church card. Everybody can go in a restaurant and talk to people. Hallelujah. 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 And so I've asked for commitment from our people, and they wrote down how many people they would invite to church in a week uh, for the rest of this year. And the people are getting involved, and uh, they're doing something about it. And so on Easter Sunday, over 400 adult visitors were there as a result of the people inviting them to church. Praise God. Praise God. I'm tired of the devil making us think we can't do anything for God. Everybody in the church can be a witness, and everybody in the church can do something for God. I don't care if you're little kids. Praise God. One little boy in our church, he's seven years old, and he got 29 adults come to church on Easter Sunday. He got grandpa and grandma and uncles and aunts and cousins. Praise God. He got them to come when some adult couldn't get them to come. I think it's time for us to lift up our eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, ready to hide. Somebody say, praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Everybody can do something. Glory to God. Glory to God. And so I've just gotten a habit, and it is, it, you know, there's some bad habits and there's some good habits. So I've gotten a habit of taking church cards with me everywhere I go in my pickup truck. <clears throat> Brother Picklesheimer and I love pickup trucks. We're both raised on a farm, I guess. I was, was you? No. Oh. You let me down, Elder, I'm telling you. I thought for sure you was a farm boy. I was raised on a farm right out in the cotton fields of southern Missouri. And I always liked pickup trucks, so I drive pickup truck. And I keep church cards and tracks with me all the time. I've just decided everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I'm going to give them a church card. least thing they can do is throw it back at me, refuse it, or throw it down on the street, or whatever. That's about all they can do. And if they decide they want to hit me, I can outrun them, so I'll take my chances on that. <laughs> Amen. And so uh, I just started passing out cards to everybody. And uh, you know what I'm amazed at? I am amazed that people are starting to come to church for me just hand them a church card and saying, hey, I'd like to invite you to the church I attend. Praise God. I haven't even told them I'm the pastor because some people are kind of leery. You know, they think, well, the preacher's doing his job. I just say, I would like to invite you to the church I attend. It's the best church in this city. Say, really? Yeah. Boy, if you don't believe that, you ought to. I don't care if you haven't got but ten. Your church ought to be the best church in that town. 
That's right. I believe we ought to be positive about our church. Amen. And so I, I didn't have any church cards with me, but I've tried to continue that since I've been here in, in uh, Twin Falls. Night before last, I uh, went on back to the room. I, <clears throat> my time is off. I'm two hours ahead of you, so I'm, <clears throat> I've been uh, kind of off schedule this week. When it's 10 o'clock your time, it's midnight mine. And, <clears throat> and that's, it's about my bedtime. And so I just stepped across the street and got uh, some orange juice at a little uh, service station right across the street from the hotel. So I invited the fellow there at the, um, at the uh, <clears throat> checkout counter running the cash register. I said, how about coming to church? He said, where do you go to church? And I told him, gave him the name and address. Oh, yeah. He said, I know where that church is. I said, why don't come? Why don't you come? Got a wonderful pastor there. Got some good saints there. You ought to come. And about that time, not before last, an old drunk walked in, his girlfriend. I assumed his girlfriend. I <clears throat> didn't believe it to be his wife. And uh, so he walked in. <laughs> you know, you can just kind of tell some things after you've been around a while. Yeah. One man said, if you see a man opening the car door for his wife, he's either got a new car or a new wife. <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> but I, I, assumed, I assumed that was his girlfriend. And I got talking to him, and I immediately smelled where I was standing, some very strong drink. And I said, how about coming to church? He said, Oh, yes, sir. I always love to go to church. This was not before last. And he said, I love to go to church. He said, where do you go to church? And I told him. Oh, he said, that church down there. And he called the name. He said, yeah, I know where that is. Brother Picklesheimer's my pastor. <laughs> so help me. And I said, well, I'm sure your pastor would love to see you in church this week. <laughs> and we had some fun there. And no kidding, that's exactly what he said. And, that's where, and he knew exactly. He knew the address. He knew the members of the church. He's what? Your barber. Huh? Oh, he was drunk then. <laughs> Stays drunk all the time, don't he? I don't know if I want a drunk man cutting my hair. <laughs> I will cut one of my ears off. <laughs> and his girlfriend was standing over there saying, let's go, let's go. And I said, just a minute, ma'am. I said, do you go? She said, no, I don't go to that church. I said, well, you need to come too. Oh, she said, I don't know about that. Oh, he said, I'm coming. He said, I'm coming. He knew exactly where the church was. Before I told him, he told me. He told me the address, told me the pastor, everything. Then he said, you got a pen and paper? Pastor, Reverend, I said, yeah. He said, just a minute, now come over here. Now write this down for me. Now write the address. He had just told me the address. <laughs> he said, write that address down for me. So I wrote it down. Write your name down. I wrote it down. And he said, when are you going to preach? I said, well, we got church tomorrow night. Brother Johnson preached. I want to know when you're going to preach. I said, I'm going to preach Friday night. I'm coming Friday night, he said. So now if he comes in the door, Brother Pixar, you'll know. I've already warned you. I want to bring him up and sit with his pastor.
The other guy that works at the checkout counter, he's standing there listening to all that. And so I pay for what I, my juice and I, I went on my way. Well, last night, I went back over there to get me some uh, cranberry juice. I like cranberry juice. So I went back to get some cranberry juice. And so the drunk wasn't in there. Just the same guy at checkout counter. I walked in, had my Bible both times. Still hadn't gone to the room yet. I got my Bible. And he said, here you are again, Reverend. I said, yes, sir. I said, this is God checkout counter. He's, I said, where's our friend at? Oh, he said, I don't know. He said, <laughs> I said, well, he told me he was coming to church. I said, I heard him say that. This was last night. He said, I heard him say that. He said, if I was you, I wouldn't hold my breath till he gets there. <laughs> I said, yeah, I assumed that. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, I believe that the whole church, everybody, ought to start becoming a witness. Anybody say amen? amen. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Pitzheimer's going to go pick him up right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nothing wrong with having a little fun, I guess, is it? But you know what would happen? What would happen? Let me ask you a question. What would happen if everybody in the church would carry church cards and church tracts and everywhere you go just start inviting people? Everywhere. 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 I've got saints that are not ever going to teach a Bible study. And I've been trying to get them to for 10, 15, 20 years. And they're just not going to do it. So rather than have them to sit there thinking I can't do anything because I'm not going to teach a 10-week home Bible study, I am challenging our people now just to become a witness. Brother Bo started us up about that, preached a sermon about that, and ever since then I have been challenging our people to become a witness. And boy, I'm telling you that every service, visitors are coming just by church cards and by tracks. Every service. Amen. I'm trying to take some of our saints out. The fact they know they ought to win souls, but yet they don't have the power, the strength, or the personality they think, or whatever. I am assuring them that everybody can become a witness. You don't have to be the judge and jury. Just be a witness. Talk to people. Invite them to church. Tell them how wonderful your church is. Tell them what God's doing. Anybody can do that. Praise God. We got a brand new lady came. As a result of the fact, one of our ladies handed her a church card two weeks ago. She came following week, came the second time, third time, got baptized. She don't have the Holy Ghost yet. But Tuesday, she had to go out of town on a business trip. She came by the office Tuesday. She's never heard very much preach. She's only been there two weeks. But this is Tuesday. Here's what she did. I wasn't in the office. One of the secretaries was there. And she came by, and she said, be sure to tell the pastor that I would be here tonight for Bible study, but I've got to go out of town on a business trip. And she said, here's my ties. I'm going to leave my ties. Well, that's better than some of the saints have been around there a good while are doing. <laughs> and so when I received the offering Tuesday night, two nights ago, I said, there's a lady. I didn't call her name. She's brand new. She's been coming here for two weeks. She had to go out of town on business. But she had the courtesy to come by and let the pastor know she wasn't going to be in church. And I said, isn't that wonderful? 
I said, aren't all of you glad that you do that? And then I said, she left her tithing at the church office because she's going to have to miss church. And I said, aren't all of you glad that before you go out of town, you leave your tithes? Just trying to get a little point across, you know. <laughs> but everybody in this building can become a witness. Everybody can become a witness. Revival is never an accident. Now, let me move quickly, and I'm going to close here shortly. Revival can be planned. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Revival can be planned and prompted and even programmed. Now, don't let that scare you. I'm not with a church growth specialist that's teaching some crazy stuff. But here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying. If you're going to have a good move of God, the church ought to be building up to it through planning and activities and so on, through fasting and prayer and witnessing and outreach and the heavy accentuation of a burden for the lost. I believe that a church ought to plan a positive plan of action and then implement that plan. Now, I know. Don't misunderstand me. It takes God to build a church, but it takes us working with him. We're laborers together with God. Hallelujah. What's wrong with planning? What's wrong with getting a church 30 days before announced revival, fasting and praying and seeking God and reaching out? What's wrong with passing out tracts and handbills and church cards in the community and getting everybody excited and stirred up about it. What's wrong with asking people to really get excited about their neighbors and friends and folks on the job and those at school? And What's wrong with that? Praise God. I believe it's time for God's people to put forth a concerted effort for reaching the lost. Yeah. Amen. 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 Now, I want to talk to you about the purpose that brings revival. God's work and God's will is our top priority. God's work and God's will. I'm talking about the purpose that brings revival is our top priority. There is a motive and a spirit that moves God. You say, I don't believe that. I, I've seen churches set for years and not have any move of God because their motive and their spirit and their attitude wasn't right. There is a motive and a spirit that can move God. You say, what are some of the motives and purposes that moves God? Number one, the exaltation of his name. Brother, if we want revival, we've got to begin to exalt the name of Jesus. Preach his name, preach his name, preach his name. Number two, we've got to honor the sacrifice of Calvary. Preach Calvary. Preach the blood. The devil hates preaching about the name, and the devil hates preaching about the blood. Preach it, preach it. Number three. And the motive that moves God is the evangelism of the lost. If a church will really get locked in to an attitude and spirit of evangelism of the lost. Number four, the motive that moves God is the propagation of truth and the vindication of truth. 
the propagation and vindication of truth. You don't have revival by compromise. You don't have revival by weakness and hesitation and vacillation and compromise. You have it when the pulpit has a strong stand for the name of the Lord and the deity of Jesus Christ and for Calvary and, and, and is propagating and exalting truth. Praise God. Number five, motive that moves God is the enlargement of his kingdom. I think we ought to want to see others saved other than just our own family. And number six, the motive that moves God is that he might receive glory and honor. That everything that goes on in this church, it's not my expertise, it's not my ability, it's how, not how sharp I am, it's not how great I am or how wonderful I am. I'm giving all power and all glory and honor to Jesus. It, didn't Paul say that no flesh should glory in his presence? To God be the glory. I let our people know, you can invite them, and one waters, one plants, one waters, but it takes God to give the increase. You can go out and invite people. But, brother, when they get healed, when they get the Holy Ghost, when they get baptized, that's not for your honor. It's for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Praise God. Brother Nathan Reaver was here Wednesday night and preached. Good message. Preached the message that he preached Wednesday night. I've known Nathan Reaver since he was a little boy. 13th and Gravel in St. Louis, Missouri. You probably knew him, Brother Raised up in the church where Brother Branding and later Brother Winford Black was the pastor. And I was in the Missouri district. Brother Rome was my superintendent, and then Brother Black was my district superintendent. <clears throat> Brother Black was a colorful fellow, an unusual fellow. He never met a stranger. And I saw him. I'd go preach for him at 13th and Gravoy in St. Louis. He never was on the platform all the time preliminaries were going on. Winford Black was in the audience. Shaking hands with somebody, laying hands with somebody, praying for somebody, praying for somebody through the Holy Ghost while singing was going on. I'm not exaggerating. This was a common thing at 13 Gravel in St. Louis. Pastor was never on the platform during the preliminaries. He had Virgil O'Bannon leading the singing. Do you remember him? Yeah. And, and he was out in the audience. And I saw him one night. We was taking up the offering in the middle aisle, 13 and Gravel. And he laid hands on a lady. She got the Holy Ghost. He said, right here, one lady just got the Holy Ghost. And it was taking up an offering. Somebody can get the Holy Ghost when the offering's been taken up. Bless God, I'm tempted to believe they got the real thing. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And Winford Black went to Kansas City. He went to Kansas City, started church. Brother Brandon, the church there, supported him. Went to 40th and Harrison in Kansas City, Missouri. Got a building, started church. Winford Black was personal soul winner. He and his wife, Aline, both. Terry was a little boy. I remember that. Now Terry's made a wonderful preacher, but he was a little boy then. But I remember Winford Black going to a house <coughs> near the church, Portis and Harrison, Kansas City, and he knocked on the door. And there was a lady came to the door, and she was not Pentecostal by any means. And he said, lady, I'm Winford Black, and I want to invite you to Apostolic Pentecostal Church, Portis and Harrison Street. She said, I don't want none of your blankety-blank church. Only she filled in the blanks. And she said, get out of here, and she slammed the door in his face. Now, you'd have to know Winford Black, and I'm not suggesting that you do what he did. Winford Black went around to the back door of the same house. He knocked on the door, and this same lady, of course, came and opened the back door. And she, when she saw him, she was angry. She started to say something, and she did like this. 
And Winford Black said, and you'd have to know him to kind of know his spirit. He said, ma'am, would you happen to know that grouchy lady that lives in the front part of this house? <laughs> and she had her finger already up like this, and she stopped and she smiled. He was smiling. She said, well, come on in then. Brother Black sat down at her kitchen table. She fed him, or she gave him some iced tea. He wound up talking to her and coming to church. Two weeks later, she was baptized and had the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Praise God. Now, I've never done it that way, so if you do it that way, don't say Brother Godair told me to do it. That was Brother Winford Black. But, oh, let me tell you, we need to stop letting the devil and the devil's crowd inhibiting us. Praise God. We got the best thing in the whole world, and we need to take it out and give it and share it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, I got to move quickly because I'm going to quit here before 1 o'clock. What, what time? Uh, am I already past time? What time's lunch? When I'm through? All right. I'll be through before 1. It's 20 minutes to 1. I'll be through here just shortly. Let's talk about the progression of revival. The progression of revival. I saw a sign years ago, back in the 70s, I was preaching a New York camp meeting. And on their old, in their old tabernacle, up by Burn, New York, out from Albany, old tabernacle, there was a big sign. And I never will forget what it said. It said on that sign, there is no failure equal to that of coming empty-handed out of a ripe. And I, I remember that sign. There is no failure equal to that of coming empty-handed out of a right field. Think about it. We've got a right field, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters and Lord, we've got a right field. God help us to do our best and give our best. Time is short. If we really believe what we preach, the Lord's coming soon. And if we really believe what we preach, and men are lost without the truth, and I believe they are, then we've got a big job on our hands, and we've got to do it, and we've got to do it now. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The progression of revival, I don't have time to elaborate, but number one is revive me. Psalms 138, verse 7, David said, revive me me. I, I, I'm not going to take time to talk about that. But number two, I'm talking about the progress or progression of revival is revive us. Psalms 85 and 6, revive us in the midst of the years. Revive us. And number three is revive thy work. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 said, revive thy work. Notice the progress of it. Number one is revive me. That's where it's got to start. Then, number two is revive us. That's where it takes in the whole church. And then number three is revive thy work. I want to have, in other words, I want to have revival in me. I want to see a revival in the church I pastor. And I want to see a revival all across the land. Revive me, revive us, and revive thy work. Now let's talk about the spiritual preparation for revival. I won't talk long about these things, but I do want to point them out and some things that I feel. And all of this is from Psalms chapter 51, that prayer, that murderous prayer where David prayed. Psalms chapter 51, verse 1 through 19, 
gives us, I think, some of the, some of the real nuggets for spiritual preparation for revival. Number one is to acknowledge God's mercy and love. The acknowledgement of God's mercy and love. Number two is the confession and repentance of sin. I'm talking about spiritual preparation for revival. Confession, repentance of sin. Number three is reality and truthfulness. Sometimes it's hard to get people real and honest about their personal need. There's got to be a reality and some truthfulness come to us. Number four in spiritual preparation for revival is the cry for cleansing. The cry for cleansing. Number five is a clean heart. How can we have real revival without a clean heart? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that's the next thing. Number six is the restoration of a right spirit. In the local church, if somebody's got a bad spirit, either out of, out of kelter with the pastor or the leadership of the church, I'm going to tell you, that person will never be blessed with God and never be right with God until they get their spirit right with the pulpit. God doesn't bless rebellion. God doesn't bless disobedience. Any saint of God in the church has got to get right. They may not understand why the preacher says what he preaches or, or why he said what he did or made a decision he did, but there must be a basic trust and confidence in the man of God that this is God's man for my life and where he leads I'm going to follow. And he doesn't have to explain everything to me and break it down for me to follow him. This is God's man. If Pastor Picklesheimer gets up here and says something Sunday morning, this is what I feel the direction the Lord wants this church to go, I don't think he ought to have to have seven meetings after church and explain to everybody what he meant. I believe there ought to be an acceptance in the congregation of the people to say, you're the man of God, you're the pastor, you're the shepherd, you're guiding us, you're watching for our soul, and whatever direction, Pastor, you take us in, that's the way we're going to go. Praise God, praise God. And you won't have revival in a church that's full of confusion and, and full of uh, uh, divisiveness and cliques. You know what I mean? You won't have revival that way. All right? Number seven is a desire to depend upon the Spirit. I'm talking about spiritual preparation for revival. A desire to depend upon the Spirit. Number eight is the restoration of joy. Glory to God. Brother, when you start having real revival, a lot of folks are going to lose their sadness and sad countenance and sad looks and sad faces. There's going to be joy emanate forth from that congregation. Everybody likes to go to church where there's happiness, where there's joy. I don't like to go to church where somebody's down and out and sad and discouraged and blue and this and that and the other. I like to go where folks are happy and excited about living for God. Amen. So we need a restoration of joy. Number nine. Talking about spiritual preparation for revival. We need a broken heart. A broken heart. Number 10, we need a contrite spirit. Not a contrary spirit, but a contrite spirit. One that is submissive, yielded, surrendered. Number 11, we also need a zeal for the house of God. A zeal for the house of God. Real saints shouldn't be looking for excuses to miss church. Amen. I tell our folks, don't call in sick. 
crawly and sick. Bless God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> that's, that's what I preach now. I, I preach that in Idaho. I'm not at home here, you know, but at home I say don't call in sick. Bless God, call in sick. If you're able to sit up in the chair, you're able to sit up at church. If you're able to entertain company, you're able to be at church. If you're able to fix a meal, you're able to come to church. If you're able to eat a meal, you're able to come to church. Well, I lost some of you right there. I believe folks ought to be faithful. Amen. Now let me... Let me hurry to a conclusion by giving you from Joel chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the Ten Commandments of Revival. Joel 2, verse 15 through 17. Number one, let me make it quick. Number one, blow the trumpet in Zion. We need some men of God in the pulpit that will blow the trumpet in Zion. But if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who's going to prepare himself to battle? There's got to be a clear note and a certain sound in the pulpit. Praise God. Number one, blow the trumpet in Zion. Number two, sanctify a fast. Number three, call a solemn assembly. I'm talking about Ten Commandments for Revival from Joel 2, 15 through 17. Number four, gather the people. I would like to elaborate, and sometimes I do, but I'm not now. I've just got to hurry. Number five, sanctify the congregation. Number six, assemble the elders. Number seven, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Number eight, let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Number nine, let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And number ten, let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. Ten commandments of revival. Let me talk to you about the posture of revival. The posture of revival. Number one is challenge. I believe a church has got to be mature enough to be challenged and accept the challenge. Amen. If you don't have but five people, challenge them to do more. One time my wife told me, said, said, baby, said, you know, I love to hear you preaching. You're my favorite preacher. That's what she said. And I was thankful for that. I was hoping at least I'd be somewhere in the top ten with her, and I don't care about anyone else. But you know, she said, "But you really have been digging us up and stirring us here lately." She said, uh, "You know, uh, we can only take so much of that at one time." I said, "What are you saying? Are you saying that I'm pushing too much?" And she said, "You're always pushing," but she said, "Seems like here lately." I said, all right, uh, let me back off and take a look at it. <clears throat> when I came back to the pulpit the next time, <clears throat> I challenged him a little bit more than did service before. So uh, she saw that didn't do any good, tried something else. But anyhow, the posture of revival, I got the best wife in the whole wide world, I'm telling you. Been married 36 years two weeks ago and got two, two daughters and four, four prettiest grandchildren you've ever seen in all your life. Now, Brother Picklesheimer's got some pretty grandchildren, but they're not as pretty as my grandchildren. <laughs> now, 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 I know that, and, and I want him to understand that. See, I mean. <laughs> uh, 
If you don't give me an amen, give me a Baptist nod, Elder. <laughs> no, I'm teasing there. But um, I, I believe that a pastor has got to constantly challenge the church. I'm talking about the posture of revival. Challenge. Number two is examination. We've got to be willing to examine the church. Where are we? What are we doing? What are we doing spiritually? How are we living? Let a man examine himself and see whether he be in the faith. Number three is renewal. Number four is worship. And number five is reaping. And perhaps it's in that order. Number one is challenge. Number two is examination. Number three is renewal. Number four is worship. Number five is reaping. Praise God. Let's talk about the principles of revival. Psalms 103 verse 7. Just some principles of revival, very brief. I will not elaborate on them. Number one is to know him. Number two is to love him. And number three is to obey him. That's some of the principles of revival, to know him. You know what Paul said? Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Hallelujah. We've got to know him, not know of him, not know about him, but really know him in the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm convinced there's many apostolic people sitting in churches today who really don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that in a mean spirit. Oh, how we need to know him in an intimate way. In an intimate way. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. The result of him knowing her was a child was born. The result of that intimate relationship was the birth of a child. Many times in the Old Testament, so-and-so knew his wife. The result of that intimacy was a child born. I wonder if we as present-day apostolics really know the Lord in an intimate way so that children can be born as a result of that relationship. Oh, that I might know him. Praise God. So to know him is number one principle of revival. Number two is to love him. And if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And if you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it will not be difficult to serve the Lord. Number three is to obey him. Praise God. Let's talk about the results of revival. Number one, there will be an impact on our community. The results of revival. Number two, there will be deliverance from sin. Glory to God. Baptized a fellow Sunday. He said he'd been a cocaine addict for 22 years and spent over a half a million dollars on cocaine. He came and brought the rest that he had on his person, on his body, and laid it at the altar. I believe real repentance will cause us to be delivered from sin. Almost every week, Folks come and lay cigarettes on our altar, lay dope on the altar. I've had them lay in recent weeks rock music tapes and CDs on the altar. I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like rock music is filthy, dirty, and promoted out of the hell itself. And I got a partial answer for things that happened like it happened in Littleton, Colorado this week. If we take rock music away from our kids, if we take filthy movies and videos away from them, and get them back in church and living for God, that'd settle a whole lot of the problems. 
when they see all kind of shooting and killing and rape and everything in the book right before their eyes, then a lot of those young minds are influenced to want to emulate that. And I, I've, I've observed, and I'm just going to tell you what I've observed, that it's harder for me to get some people delivered from rock music than it is from tobacco and drinking. Now, let me tell you, let me give you an example. I've got a man coming to our church right now. He gave up drinking the night he came. About a week or two later, he totally gave up cigarettes. He fooled around a little while, but two weeks later, it was gone. You know what he told me here a while back? He said, Brother Godair, the hardest thing I'm having trouble with is not drinking, it's not cigarettes, it's rock music. He said, I don't even want drink anymore. I don't want a cigarette anymore. But he said, boy, that rock music, listen, it plays on the mind. Destroys the mind. I think it's putrid, filthy, foul, and dirty, and out of the pits of hell. But the results of revival, number one, an impact on our community. Number two is deliverance from sin. And number three is joy and victory in the church. Glory to God. I said joy and victory in the church. Glory to God. Glory to God. I tell you what, I want revival. I want to be a revival. You know, if ever a saint of God in this building would say, I'm just going to be a revival. I'm going to just start being a revival. You say, Brother, go to our church is small. We can't have revival. Don't let the devil stop you and defeat you because your church is small. I've been there when there was two and three. I've been there when there was one. You say, what would you do when church is just one? I preached to one elderly lady, service after service after service. I preached to one. I preached to two many times, three and four and five many times. And do it again. I'll do it again. I preached in a home missions church in North Carolina just recently, only a handful there. And I preached just like I was preaching Sunday night at home. Praise God. Do you know why? Those people need God. And I think in small churches, we've got to constantly project faith and vision and burden and purpose. We're going to have revival. Glory to God. When I started first church, we had two in Sun School. I, got me, I, I can't even draw very good. I mean, it's pitiful. My writing and drawing is pitiful. But I, I put the letter 25 and put it on a poster board and put it up on the front. And I said, I want to tell you something. That's going to stay up there till we have 25 in Sun School. And we're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to reach out. Didn't happen two or three. I said, that, that sign's going to stay there. Now, if you get tired of looking at it, you get out of here and help me work and we're going to have 25 and today we have 25 I'll take that sign down and I did it took weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks finally we had 25 and I could see them say we're going, to get, we're going to not be looking at that sign anymore on Sunday morning we had 25, 26 I think that night they came back I had one up there that said 50 <laughs> praise God they realized I said, when we have 50 in church, I'm going to take that sign down. And we, after two or three or four months, we had 50. And I took that one down. On Sunday night, I had 75 back up there. And that's the way it ought to be. Never satisfied, never complacent, never contented. Brother, I'm telling you, we ought never to be satisfied. As long as one soul in our city is going to hell, we ought to be satisfied. If you're pastoring a small church, lift up your head and do your best. You are God's man, your own location, and you're there to do his work and his will. Don't let the devil stop you or defeat or discourage you. You're God's man. And you don't have to let large churches cow you down. And you don't have to feel like that you've got to imitate large churches. 
You can scale your program to fit where you are, but do something. Amen. Be yourself. Don't knock yourself out because you don't have a big choir or an orchestra or a staff or an office. You don't even have to have an office building. My first office, first three years, was in a Sunday school classroom that I shared with the Sunday school. They had it on Sunday morning, and I had it the rest of the week. Don't knock yourself out because you don't have all of that. Bloom where you're planted and work where you are. Also realize that big is not bad. And don't get a bad attitude or criticize those with larger churches because if you do and you project that, that will inhibit your own growth in your church. Amen. Remember this. I don't care how few you have or how many. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. Find your place don't feel inferior. Use the time that you're there to grow and develop yourself, and God will lead you to greater things. You say, I've got a small income, inadequate building, poor location. You may have all of that, but do your best to stay excited and enthused. Do, do small things, but do it in a big way. We didn't have a tent. We may be doing small things, but we'll do it in a big way. And don't underestimate God's ability to supply the need. Don't underestimate God's ability to supply financial needs in home mission churches. Oftentimes, God, I've had to use sinners to supply the need and folks that wouldn't live for God to supply the need. We had a man to put a, uh, uh, to put a ceiling. We moved in our first building years ago in Missouri, and we didn't have a ceiling. You could look up and see uh, the... Uh, Joyce, and you could see uh, the roof, and it wasn't a very pleasant thing. God used a man to come by there, and one Sunday, he put enough cash money in the offering plate to put us a ceiling in that church. Later on, later on, he became one of the biggest troublemakers I've ever pastored, and he left came to the point, he and I, here I one had to leave, and I reminded him that I was there first, and I was going to stay. <laughs> and so he left. Even his own wife couldn't get along with him. She told me, she said, Brother, go there. By the time he gets to the car, and don't even get the motor started, he starts finding fault with everything that went on in the church. But you know what? The Lord used him even though he wasn't right. If the Lord could speak through Balaam's mule and out of a burning bush, then he can use somebody's money that's not even right with God. I know a man right now, one of my son-in-laws, he's in, in a church and starting a brand new church, and he's not receiving any financial support from anywhere. But there's a lady and her husband that started coming to church there, Brother Johnson. She's not Pentecostal. She, you see her during the week. She's wearing pants. You see her at church, she's got a dress way too short. Way too short. Way, way, way too short. Fact of the matter, you couldn't hardly call it a dress. It's pitiful. Hair's cut off, face painted up, earrings, all, all the whole bit. And you know her husband owns a motorcycle shop in the town. And she's took a liking to my daughter, her husband. 
and she's coming to church. Her teenagers started coming. Her husband's been coming a few times. Oh, he says, church is not for me. Typical fellow. But he owns the biggest motorcycle shop in that part of the country. And there have been weeks when they didn't have anything. And that sinner woman has given enough to pay the bills for that week. One sinner woman. You said, I wouldn't take it. That's the devil's money. Well, the devil's had it long enough, bless God. <laughs> One week she came in on Sunday morning and put in a check for $1,400. And they desperately needed money. God knows how to help us. Praise God. I've seen in my own life when we didn't have members, God would let sinners and just everybody help. Now we've got saints. He expects the saints to do it. The saints of God ought to tithe and give and be faithful. Let's stand together in Jesus' name. How many glad you love God today? Praise God. How many want to do a work for Jesus? How many want, to, want your life to count in the kingdom of God? How many like to be busy and involved and active in the kingdom of God? Let's lift our hands and our voices. Let's pray together right now. Amen. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Well, he's a good God. Thank you, Brother Godare. A service like this is one that you can't, you can't, you know, what are you going to, you could open up for people. This is something we just take home and make it work. Amen. You don't have to stop and think about this. Just go make it work. Amen. Just, just go make it work. He's a good God. If I could make a statement just trying to help a home missionary when, my wife just went out to get help the ladies with dinner, but when God began to deal with my heart and Pastor Picklesheimer told me to start praying about Burley, my wife said, no. Well, you've got to understand why she'd say no, because we were going back to a town where my father had preached on the radio, fallen into adultery, Explosive things going on. Family that was uh, homosexual lifestyle. All these, all these problems. My wife said, no. After a while, we get just, this is what we're praying about. This is what the pastor feels. This is what my burden is. Church, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not gloating in this. This is my pastor. This is my family. But in 11 years, God has moved my family that has made up their mind they don't want to serve God. My own father traveled to my new convert's home and, and talked against me. But in 11 years, one by one, God has begun to move them out of my town. And the last part of my family that's left put a 
for sale sign on their house and are planning to leave town. Now I realize there's people here that know my family. But it was the thing that hindered us to begin with. Hindered my wife's desire even to go. And now you couldn't pry her out of town for nothing. God has a way of doing the impossible. Somebody says, yeah, but that's your family. So if they don't want to serve God, I don't want them standing between revival. Some of them we've had to bury at a young age. Some of them that have went places. I don't understand it all. But God is more interested in revival than we are. He left heaven, came and walked this whole earth, laid down his blood. Thank you, Brother Godare. I'm excited about revival in Idaho, aren't you? Let's thank God one more time for revival.